Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. This is part two of our 2023 season recap. For part one, I had Tyson Alger on from the I-5 Corridor. We broke down 10 of our favorite stories and storylines of the season. That came out on Wednesday. Um, if you haven't listened to that, go back and, and listen to that. That was a really good episode. Thank you again for uh, to Tyson for coming on. That was a lot of fun to do. Today, I'm going to do the rest of our recap. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Fiesta Bowl. Not too much because, spoiler alert, it was not that entertaining. Well, it was an entertaining game, just not that great of a game, if we're being honest. Um, I'm also going to go through some year-end awards, as I do every year, kind of highlight some of the players that I think uh, were the most notable and need some recognition from this season. And then before we turn over a new leaf and go into basketball season, I'm just going to um, you know, give a little bit of a thank you to the listeners and the fans and the people that allow me to do what I do and do this job that I love so much. Uh, we got a lot to get to. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. I don't want to get too deep into the Fiesta Bowl. It was a 45-6 to blowout Oregon over Liberty on New Year's Day. Um, I predicted a 45-13 to win for the Ducks, which felt pretty bold at the time. I'm not going to lie. Um, obviously, I was not bold enough. It's just it, it wasn't a great game. Um, I, I think that it's fair to say that. Knicks broke records. Bo Nix broke records. Tez Johnson had a great game. It's a really good showing from some young guys in the team, though we didn't really get as much um, playing time for those young underclassmen as we expected. Uh, overall, it was a good win, though. But, you know, because of the opponent, it felt like a little bit of a letdown, um, to be honest. And I don't that's not Oregon's fault. That's not, you know, not any of the players' fault. They, I credit all of the players for actually playing in this game. I credit Bo Nix and Bucky Irving and Brandon Dorless and all these guys for playing in this game and wanting to go out on top and not have that sour taste of the Pac-12 championship left in their mouths from um, for that being the end of their their college careers. But you know, it's this was an interesting bowl game to kind of, I guess, interesting bowl game to watch and just assess because you know Liberty. I think we all can confidently say now we've all seen they're not on the same level as Oregon they did not belong on the same field as Oregon on that day so um while it's impressive what they did 13 and 0 um you know you always love an undefeated season but it's it's unfortunate that the Ducks season had to end this way against an opponent that didn't feel worthy to be on the same stage Um, they handled it the right way they said the right things and they took care of business on the field but um, you know, it was it was not one of the best bowl game wins of their, you know, the past 20 years because, you know, it was they were expected to win. They were favored by 18 points, and we knew that that point spread wasn't even going to be close to enough in the end. So uh, moving on from that, first, I want to touch on some transfer portal news. Um, the Ducks have a few extra days to enter the portal um, to have players enter the portal, I should say. Um, so you might see a few more guys enter, um, you know, over the next couple of days. I think they have until the sixth, I believe. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm not completely sure on when the the portal closes for those guys. But um, since the end of the festival, we've seen two guys enter 
Jake Shipley being one of them. That was someone that was, you know, semi-expected. It's not too big of a surprise. Um, more notably, though, Cole Martin, um, true freshman, defensive back, safety. That was a shock. I mean, the Cole Martin transfer, I'm, I, I'm not going to lie, it's tough. Um, you know, it was, I was very shocked to see this news, very surprised. He's someone that I've been incredibly high on. I interviewed him after he, you know, committed to the ducks a couple of years ago. Um, he's someone that I thought had a really, really great, really bright future in front of him at Oregon. Um, son of Demetrius Martin, the quarterback's coach. Um, he played a decent amount as a true freshman. It looked like he had a really solid chance to be, you know, if not a starting safety at Oregon in 2024, someone that was really in the rotation playing that nickel spot, playing, you know, field safety somewhere, boundary safety somewhere in that secondary. Um, you know, he, he had a, a decent amount of production as a freshman. And while he didn't maybe play as much as he wanted to, he only, I think he only had four snaps in the Fiesta Bowl, which is something that shocked me. I mean, Cole Martin, um, Roderick Pleasant, Kamari Terrell, several of the young defensive backs that we thought were going to be relied on more in the Fiesta Bowl. They all only played like four or five snaps, which was surprising. But when looking at the the whole Cole Martin situation, it just it doesn't quite add up to me. I'm I'm trying to do some digging on this, find out what happened. But um, you know, it's his decision, and I wish him all the best going forward. I think it's going to be very good where he does land. Um, I, I don't know if this situation where he just thought there was a better opportunity for playing time somewhere else, um, you know, in today's day and age of college football, you always have to consider the fact that NIL is a factor and that maybe, you know, some other team offered him a better name image like to steal to play somewhere else. But, um, I think if you were to ask me, you know, before the transfer portal opened to rank all the players who I thought, were least likely to enter the portal. I think Cole Martin would have been one of them because he's someone that I saw a clear future for. He obviously has ties to the coaching staff with coach meat. Um, you know, and I, I'm just from what he's said and what he's done at Oregon so far, I did not expect him to be leaving, but once again, respect his decision. Um, I, I really wish him the best. He's a, a great kid, a really talented player. I think he's going to be really good wherever he does land. Elsewhere, things have cooled off a little bit in the transfer portal as far as incoming guys go. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that Oregon was looking at that ended up committing elsewhere. Um, but it feels like the Ducks might wait a little bit until after the spring season to add a lot more guys to positions of need. Uh, there are a few guys. I mean, so we've seen there are a few notable guys in the portal right now to, to pay attention to. But there's going to be a ton more that come out after the spring season, after they go through those spring practices and spring games, kind of figure out where they are on the depth chart. That's when, um, you know, several guys like Gary Bryant, um, Nashad Struther, I'm trying to remember what other guys were added to the Ducks last year, last after spring football. Um, I think that's when Tysheem Johnson was added as well. Um, I can't remember exactly, but it, it – it happens, you know, there's a lot of players that enter the portal after spring football and find a new home. So just because Oregon still has some positions of need right now does not mean that they, you know, they missed out on filling them. There's still going to be a lot of opportunity for that to happen going forward. At the moment, a few guys to to keep an eye on. One is Texas A&M wide receiver Evan Stewart. The other is Duke cornerback Brandon Johnson. Those are the two names that I've been told are um, Definitely someone just to be aware of. Uh, Stewart is currently the number one player in the transfer portal. 
He's a, a Texas A&M wide receiver who was the number six player in the 2022 recruiting class. Uh, there are reports out there that show Oregon is definitely recruiting him. So we know that trying to replace Troy Franklin, there's a you know a position of need at wide receiver. You don't really need um, to to break the bank trying to get a wide receiver one, but getting someone like Evan Stewart would be huge. Um, I, I think they'll continue to try and recruit him pretty hard going forward. All right, the next part of the season wrap up. I want to go through my my uh, you know end of season awards. So I've got offensive and defensive MVPs, um, offensive and defensive most improves, um, the best position group, best win, worst loss, most pleasant surprise, uh, best uniform combination, and then my favorite cinematic recap, which is actually a new um, category that we were able to add this year. So. Um, I'm just going to go quickly through my answers. We will have a full breakdown of all of these awards on Duckswire. I believe that's going to go up on Friday, so a day after this podcast is released. But uh, myself, my the two writers, Don Smalley and Miles Dwyer, we were all going to submit our votes and um, you know break down in depth why we voted for the uh, the players that we did and who ultimately won the awards based on voting. So, but my ballot is going to be as follows for offensive MVP. You know, you think that it would be Bo Nix. That seems likely that it should be Bo Nix, the Heisman finalist quarterback. I agree. Um, and I, I may feel very stupid for saying it's Troy Franklin instead. Um, you know, it's it feels like Bo Nix is probably the obvious answer. And I, you know, I probably feel wrong for saying it's not him. But I think it's just in the, the grand scheme of Oregon football, I think what Troy Franklin did in Eugene is incredibly valuable. Um, and may, this may be a cop-out for the you know the 2023 season MVP, but we've had incredible quarterbacks come through Eugene before. You know, we've had Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert, we've had Joey Harrington, Darren Thomas. You know, the list goes on. There's been a lot of really good quarterbacks. There's not an incredibly long list of of great wide receivers. I mean, it's it's very clear that Troy Franklin is the best receiver that Oregon has ever had. Um, I think what he did this past year, um, you know, just breaking several records, uh, it's it's been very impressive. So um, I think he wins my my offensive MVP award. I know that I'm probably going to get some hate for that pick. Um, part of me hopes that when I get the answers back from Don and Miles on Duckswire, that they both choose Bo Nix so he can be the ultimate winner. But I just wanted to give Troy Franklin a, a solid nod in my book and say that he's my offensive MVP. Defensive MVP. This one was, I'm not going to lie, it was a bit tougher. There are a lot of guys that you could give this award to. Ultimately, I'm going to give it to Brandon Dorless. Um, I thought that he had a very, very solid year. Um, his last year in Eugene, he was just the the stalwart on that defensive line. He was really the center of that team. Um, you know, give a lot of credit to Jeffrey Bassa. I think he played very well. Evan Williams played very well. Kyrie Jackson also had a you know a realistic chance of winning this award or getting my vote. I should at least say. Um, Brandon Dorless, though, I think that he was just probably the most important player on this defense. Um, and just having such a dominant defensive lineman, especially in Dan Lanning's system, it changes everything for the defense. So um, I'm not going to, again, if you want to read further on, you know, the the details of why I picked Dorless, you can find, so find that on Duckswire on Friday. But um, this is someone I think Oregon's definitely going to miss. He's going to go to the NFL this year, and I think he's going to have a really good career because he showed in college that he's got the ability to um, just be a dominant interior defensive lineman. And not even interior defensive lineman. He moves across the defensive line. He's very, 
um, you know, versatile in that position. So I think that he gets my vote for defensive MVP. For offensive most improved, I had trouble with this one. Um, ultimately, it's down. It's between Jackson Powers Johnson and Jordan James for me. Um, if you listen to the podcast on um, on Wednesday with Tyson Alger, we broke down. I mean, two of our storylines were about JPJ and Jordan James. So we talked a lot about both of them. Um, ultimately, I think I'm going to give it to JPJ. I think that, you know, Oregon had a really, really good center last year and Alex Forsyth. And one of the biggest question marks this offseason was how are they going to replace Forsyth? This guy that goes to the NFL, he was basically the second quarterback of the offense, uh, the quarterback of the offensive line. He helped the offense so much last year, getting them into the right checks, getting them into the right protections and everything. The fact that he was going and you had someone coming in that did not have that much starting experience at the center spot, you know, it was a major question mark for the Ducks. JBJ come in, came in and is the first player in Pac-12 history, not just Oregon history, Pac-12 history to win the, the Remington Award for the best center in the nation. He was by far the best center in the nation and one of the best offensive linemen that Oregon's ever had. Um, it feels weird to say that that's most improved, obviously, because, you know, he was already really good coming to the season, but we just didn't know how good he could be. We didn't know what that ceiling was. So um, I think that, I think that that definitely makes him the most improved. Um, and definitely, I mean, he, he could have been the offensive MVP as well. He had a shot at that for sure. As far as defensive MVP goes, or uh, I'm sorry, as far as defensive most improved goes, I'm going to give it to Julio Florence cornerback. Um, he was really good as a freshman, but didn't play a ton. He just, he definitely showed what he could do in small spurts. I thought he was really, really good for the Ducks this year. Obviously, um, when he did get hurt, it showed how valuable he was. Um, and he grew into be, you know, one of the best cornerbacks next to Kyrie Jackson for the Ducks this year. And I think going into next year, he will be probably the best cornerback for the Ducks. Um, he's someone who's incredibly talented. We knew he was a really highly rated recruit coming in last year. Um, I think that he just really blossomed into a, a talented player and to, you know, an absolute star for this defense. For the best position group, um, there's several that you could give this to. Obviously, you could give it to the offensive line. They were incredible this year. You could give it to, you know, the running backs. You could give it to, I, it's kind of a cop-out to say the quarterbacks because that's just one person. I gave it to the wide receivers, though. The, uh, you know, the improvement and just the production that we saw from the wide receivers this year in Oregon was super impressive. Uh, you know, you had both Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson breaking records. This is probably one of the best, most talented wide receiver groups that Oregon's had in a long, long time, maybe ever. Um, I think that it's just it's remarkable to see how good this receiver room, this receiver group is compared to where it was a few years ago. I mean, you look at receiver groups that had Micah Pittman and Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson as your top guys, and then you compare them to Troy Franklin and and Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden, Gary Bryant. Um, it's just really impressive to see what they've been able to do and how um, you know credit to, to Junior Adams how he's been able to grow this room and and develop this room and get highly highly talented players in this room. For best win, I think I'm going to go with Utah. Um, that win on the road was very, very impressive. I think it was was at 35 to six was this final score. Um, just you know, Utah had not lost at home in so long. It's been it's been a long time, so I'm I'm forgetting the exact stat. 
Um, it had been a long time since they lost at home, though. I remember that much. Um, and Oregon came in and just absolutely dominated that game. Um, so I think that was easily the best win of the season. The worst loss, you know, there's two losses to choose from. I think that the second Washington loss is what hurt the most that won in the Pac-12 championship game. You could argue that the first loss hurt a little bit more just because of the the Camden Lewis missed field goal to send it to overtime. They were winning the um, you know the fourth down decision making that should have had that game. But I don't know with all the time to to prepare and the chance for a revenge against Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, the last ever Pac-12 championship game. I think that one hurts a little bit more, especially to see what's kind of played out in the college football playoff now and see that. You know, had Oregon made it, I think they'd have a really good chance to beat um, any of the other three teams that are in the playoffs. So I think that one definitely hurts. The most pleasant surprise, this one may be cheating a little bit. I'm not sure that this answer should count, but I'm going to go with Dante Moore coming in and willing to sit for a year behind Dylan Gabriel. Um, This technically didn't happen during the 2023 season, unless you consider the festival part of the season, in which case, yes, this did happen during the season, but... Um, it almost just feels still too good to be true that you'd get this former five-star kid who was committed here, flipped here, willing to come in. And after playing several games, played nine games as a true freshman, willing to sit for a year and develop and knows that, you know, he's got a great chance to be as good of a player as he wants to be. If he sits in this situation and develops with you and just waits for his turn. That's just that doesn't happen anymore in today's age of college football. So I think that's for sure the most pleasant surprise. The best uniform combination of the season, that's easy. It's either the Fiesta Bowl or the Washington State throwbacks. Um, you know, that's that's not even a contest. Those are the best uniforms that Oregon has ever won. Finally, my favorite cinematic recap of the year. I think it's week four against Colorado. Um, there was so much hype about this game, um, so much trash talk. You had Colorado stomping on the O before the game. You had Dan Lanning's, they're playing for clicks, we're playing for wins speech. Um, this was just, this was, I think, the cinematic recap that went the most viral online. Um, it really, really just got everyone talking. Um, I think that was, there were so many cinematic recaps to, to note, and so many that were so fun to watch, but I think that was the best one. As we wrap up our football coverage for the 2023 season, I just want to take a second and talk to all the listeners of the Scoring Long Podcast. First off, I just have to say thank you to all of the fans who continually download and listen to these episodes every week. It really, it means the world to me. The podcast is still small. We still have a long ways to go before we can get the numbers up to a place where I'm personally satisfied with them, but... The numbers have steadily increased over the past several months of the season, so I appreciate you all for tuning in and doing so regularly. This thank you also goes for everyone who reads and follows along at Duxwire. While the podcast numbers may need to improve, Duxwire is absolutely killing it right now. And I don't mean that in a sense of the content that we're putting out, but more in the numbers that we're bringing in. The website started in April of 2021, and for the first couple of years, it was not sustainable. I had to work other jobs in order to make ends meet, and it was almost a year before we got our first month with a million page views. I still remember it very, very well. It was December of 2021 when Landon got hired, and it felt like the biggest accomplishment in the world to get a million page views in a month. Now, if we get any less than six or seven million page views in a month, it feels like we're underperforming. 
that's thanks to you guys. And that's thanks to everyone who reads the site every day and allows me to do this job that I love so, so very much. I no longer work other jobs to make ends meet. Duxwire is my job and it has allowed me to live a very comfortable life where I can work from home and take care of my 16 month old daughter and try to work while she's, while she naps and absolutely love my life. Um, I know I've gotten pretty sappy here, but I just want to thank all of you listeners and readers and know, and I want you to know that you're a major part of this and I could not do what I love without you guys consuming the content. And I really do love what I do. And I hope that comes out in my work. Next, I have to ask a couple of things from you guys. The first has to do with growing the podcast. I'm not someone who has always been very good at promoting myself, but it's become very clear that you know, you need to play the game a bit to grow the numbers. And that means that if you're listening to this, I ask that you please go to whatever podcast app you use, be it Apple or Spotify or whatever. Please rate the show, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, do all of those things because that's what really boosts up the podcast on the back end. And that's what gets it into the important algorithms and stuff that I'm not smart enough to understand. It only takes a few seconds of your time. So please, please go rate and review and we can grow this thing and get it into more people's feeds and just, just get a bigger audience going forward. Also, if you have friends who are duck fans that don't listen to the podcast, just suggest it to them. Just tell them that they should give it a chance. If they don't like it, they don't have to keep listening, but they may find that it's exactly what they want. This is, you know, word of mouth is a great way to, to grow listenership and just grow the podcast so i ask that you please do that lastly i want your feedback and i truly truly mean that podcasting is a very interesting medium because you rarely get coaching or feedback on anything i can do a segment that you may think is amazing and i can do a segment that you may think is terrible and i never really know the difference between the two other than my own opinion on it. So that's where I truly am asking for your feedback and your constructive criticism. If there's stuff that I do that you think is really good, please tell me so I can do more of it. If there's stuff that I do that you don't like or that bothers you or that you think that can improve, please, please tell me. I especially want to know about that stuff. I can take criticism. Well, I absolutely would never be upset with anyone trying to make me better. I want the coaching, so please reach out to me. My DMs are open. You can text me if you have my number. You can email me at ZacharyNeal4 at gmail.com. I'm not hard to get in touch with. Again, thank you all for following along and listening. We're going to shift our focus to basketball starting next week. I hope to bring a longtime friend, Andy Patton, former writer for DucksWire. Um, bring him on to give us a rundown of the Pac-12 this year. But as you know, football will always, always be discussed on this podcast, even the offseason. There's a ton of recruiting and stuff um, to talk about going forward. Um, if you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy. <laughs>